Babbel.com. Language for life. Why Babbel? When you want to learn new, a new language, you want to be able to actually use it with real people in the real world. Every part of Babbel's is designed with that goal in mind. Designed by pros. Lessons with realistic scenarios designed by over 100 linguists. Use what you learn. Interactive dialogues that get you speaking confidently. Learn on any device. Compatibility with most devices with lessons that are only 10 to 15 minutes long. Remember everything. Reviews that bring back everything you've learned. Number one selling language learning app. Download the app today and start learning language for your everyday life from the App Store or Google Play. Choose how you learn. To start with Babbel, choose your plan that works best for you. Babbel app subscription. Get unlimited access to hundreds of award-winning lessons designed for all learners based on level and time commitment. Bible, Babbel live subscription. You'll have access to live virtual classes taught by top language teachers available at a variety of days, times, and levels, plus access to all Babbel online lessons. People love Babbel. Thousands of five-star reviews. Publications love Babbel. The Wall Street Journal, Business Insiders, CNN, Forbes, the New York Times, The Washington Post, USA Today, at CNET. You can choose from the following languages. Spanish, French, German, Italian, Russian, Portuguese, Turkey, Dutch, Swedish, Polish, Norwegian, Indonesian, Danish. Over 10 million subscriptions sold. Plushcare.com. Healthcare that makes you smile. Virtual primary care and mental health treatment when you need it. Get personalized high-quality health care by taking two top U.S. medical doctors all from the ease of your smartphone. Care for you and the ones you love most. High quality. Plushcare's high-skilled online doctors are ta- trained at the top 50 U.S. medical schools with an average of 15 years of experience. Our, their online doctors give you and your entire family the peace of mind you should expect from your health care provider. Convenient? Just book an appointment, chat via video on your smartphone, and pick up your prescription from your pharmacy. Their advanced technology is integrated with most major insurers, labs, and pharmacies. Affordable. Training. Talking to an online doctor has never been easier and more affordable for just your copay or $9.99 per visit. $99 per visit. You can get quality care from one of their highly skilled online doctors. They are in network with most major insurers in the U.S. and provide care in all 50 states, over 415,000 patients cared for. Here is part four of U.S. President number 37, Richard M. Nixon, author and elder statesman. In 1978, Nixon published his memoirs, R.N., the memoirs of Richard Nixon, the first of ten books he was to author in his retirement. The book was a bestseller and attracted a generally positive critical response. Nixon visited the White House in 1979, invited by Carter for the state dinner for Chinese Prime Premier Deng Xiaoping. Carter had not wanted to invite Nixon, but Deng had said he would visit Nixon in California if the foreign president was not invited. Nixon had a private meeting with Deng and vice Beijing again in mid-1979. On August 10, 1979, the Nixons purchased a 12-room condominium occupying the 7th floor of 817 Fifth Avenue in New York City after being rejected by two Manhattan co-ops. When the disposed 
Shah of Iran died in Egypt in July 1980. Nixon defied the State Department, which intended to send no U.S. representative by attending the funeral. Though Nixon had no official credentials as a former president, he was seen as the American president at his former allies' funeral. Nixon supported Ronald Reagan for president in 1980, making television appearances, portraying himself as in biographer Stephen Ambrose was the senior statesman above the fray. He wrote guest articles for many publications, both during the campaign and after Reagan's victory. After 18 months in the New York City townhouse, Nixon and his wife moved in 1981 to Saddle River, New Jersey. Throughout the 1980s, Nixon maintained an ambitious, maintained an ambitious schedule of speaking engagements and writing, traveled and met with many foreign leaders, especially those of the third world countries. He joined former President Ford and Carter as representatives of the United States at the funeral of Egyptian President Anwar Sadat on a trip to the Middle East. East Middle, Nixon made his views known regarding Saudi Arabia and Libya, which attracted a significant U.S. media attention. The Washington Post ran stories on Nixon's rehabilitation. Nixon visited the Soviet Union in 1986 and on his return sent President Reagan a lengthy memorandum containing foreign policy suggestions and his personal impressions of Mikhail Gorbachev. Following his trip, Nixon was ranked in a Gallup poll as one of the most ten admired men in the world. In 1986, Nixon addressed a convention of newspaper publishers impressing his audience with his tour to the horizon of the world. At the time, political pundit Elizabeth Drew wrote, even when he was wrong, Nixon still showed that he knew a great deal and a capacious memory as well as the capacity to speak with apparent authority enough to impress people who had little regard for him in earlier times. Newsweek ran a story on Nixon's comeback with the headline, He's Back. On July 19, 1990, the Richard Nixon Library and Birthplace in Yorba Linda, California, opened as a private institution with the Nixons in attendance. They were joined by a large crowd of people, including Presidents Ford, Reagan, and George H.W. Bush, as well as their wives, Betty, Nancy, and Barbara. In January 1940, the former president founded the Nixon Center, today the Center for the National Interest, a Washington policy that think tank and conference center. Pat Nixon died on June 22, 1993, of asthma and lung cancer. His funeral services were held on the grounds of the Richard Nixon Library and birthplace. Former President Nixon was distraught throughout the interment and delivered a tribute to her inside the library building. Death and Funeral Nixon suffered a severe stroke on April 18, 1994, while preparing to eat dinner in his Park Ridge, New Jersey home. A blood clot resulting from the atrial fibrillation he had suffered for many years had formed his upper heart, broken off, and traveled to his brain. He was taken to New York Hospital Cornell Medical Center in Manhattan. Internally, initially alert but unable to speak or to move his right arm or leg, damage to the brain caused swelling, cerebral edema, and Nixon slipped into a deep coma. He died at 9.08 p.m. on April 22, 1994. With his daughters at his bedside, he was 81 years old. Nixon's funeral took place on April 27, 1994, in Yorba Linda, California. Eulogists at the Nixon Library Ceremony included President Bill Clinton, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, State Minority Leader Bob Dole, California, Governor Pete Wilson, and the Reverend Billy Graham. Also on tennis were former Presidents Ford, Carter, Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and, the, and their wives. Richard Nixon was buried beside his wife, Pat, on the grounds of the Nixon Library. He was survived by his two daughters, Tricia and Julie, and four grandchildren. In keeping with his wishes, his funeral was not a full state funeral, though his body did lie in repose in the Nixon Library Library from April 26 to the morning of the funeral service. 
Mourners waited in line for up to eight hours in chilly, wet weather to pay their respects. At its peak, the line was the line to pass by Nixon's castle was three miles long, with an estimated 42,000 people waiting. John F. Slacks of the Time magazine said of Nixon shortly after his death, an outsized energy and determination drove him on to recover and rebuild as every self-created disaster that he faced to reclaim a respected place in American public life after his resignation. He felt he kept traveling and thinking and talking to the world's leaders, and by the time Bill Clinton came to the White House in 1993, Nixon had virtually cemented his role as an elder statesman. Clinton, whose wife served on the staff of the committee that voted to impeach Nixon, met openly with him and regularly sought his advice. Tom Wicker of the New York Times noted that Nixon had been equaled by only by Franklin Roosevelt in being five times nominated on a major party ticket and quoted Nixon's 1960 farewell speech, wrote, Richard Nixon's jolly beard, shadow face, and the ski jump nose and the widow's peak, the arm super stretched. The arms up stretched and the view sign had been so often pictured and caricature his presence had become such a familiar one in the land he had been so often in the heat of controversy that it was hard to realize the nation really would not ha- have Nixon to kick around anymore. Ambrose said of the reaction to Nixon's death to everyone's amazement except his, he's our beloved, beloved, beloved elder statesman. Upon Nixon's death, almost all the news news coverage mentioned Watergate, but for the most part, the coverage was favorable to the former president. The Dallas Morning News stated the history ultimately should show that despite his flaws, he was one of our most far-sighted chief executives. This offended some. Communist Russell Bacon complained of a group conspiracy to grant an absolution. Cartoonist Jeff Coturba of the Omaha World Herald depicted history before a blank canvas. His subject, Nixon, as America looks on eagerly. The artist surges... The artist urges his artist to sit down. The work will take some time to complete as this portrait is a little more complicated than most. Hunter S. Thompson wrote a scathing piece denouncing Nixon for Rolling Stone entitled He Was a Crook, which also appeared on Monthly in the Atlantic. In his article, Thompson described Nixon as a political monster straight out of Grendel and a very dangerous enemy. Legacy Historian and political scientist James McGregor Burns asked of Nixon, how can one evaluate such an, an, an idiosyncratic president so brilliant and so moral, morally lacking? Nixon's writers disagree on how he will be received by prosperity. According to Ambrose, Nixon wanted to be judged by what he accomplished. What he will be remembered for is the nightmare he put the country through in his second term and for his resignation. Erwin G. Gilman was chronicled Nixon's congressional career suggests he was remarkable among his congressional peers, a success story in a troubled era, one who steered a sensible anti-communist course against the excess of McCarthy. Aiken feels that Nixon, both as a man and as, as a statesman, has been excessively maligned for his faults and inadequate recognition for his virtues, and Yet, even in the spirit of historical revisionism, no simple verdict is possible. Some historians say Nixon's Southern strategy turned the Southern United States into a Republican stronghold, while others deem economic factors more important in the change. Throughout his career, Nixon moved his party away from the control of isolationists, and as a congressman, he was a persuasive advocate of containing Soviet communism, according to his biographer Herbert Parment. Nixon's role was to steer the prime Republican Party along a middle course, somewhere between the competitive impulses of the Rockefellers, the Goldwaters, and the Reagans.
Nixon's stance on domestic affairs has been accredited with the passage and reinforcement of environmental and regulatory legislation. In the 2011 paper on Nixon and the environment, historian Paul Charles Malazzo points to Nixon's creation of the United States Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, and to its enforcement of legislation such as the 1973 Endangered Species Act, stating that though unsought and unacknowledged Nick Richard Nixon's environment legacy is secure, Nixon himself did not consider the environment advances he made in office an important Part of legacy, some historians contend that stresses were driven more by political expediency than any strong environmentalism. Nixon saw his policies on Vietnam, China, and the Soviet Union as essential to his place in history. Nixon's one-time opponent, George McGovern, commented in 1980 that President Nixon probably had a more practical approach to the two superpowers, China and the Soviet Union, than any other president since World War II, with the exception of an inexcusable continuation of the war in Vietnam. Nixon really will get high marks. In history, political scientist Jesse Hanhim, a kid, disagrees, saying that Nixon's diplomacy was merely a continuation of the Cold War policy of containment by diplomat rather than military means. Historian Christopher Andrew concludes that Nixon was a great statesman on the world stage as well as a shabby practitioner of electoral politics in the domestic arena. While the critical force of Watergate was in the making, Nixon's inspirational Statesmanship was establishing new working relationships both with Communist China and with the Soviet Union. Historian Keith W. Olson has written that Nixon left a legacy of fundamental mistrust of government rooted in Vietnam and Watergate in service of historians and political scientists. Nixon is generally ranked as below as a below average president during the impeachment of Bill Clinton in nineteen ninety eight. Both sides tried to use Nixon and Watergate to their advantages. Republicans suggested that Clinton's misconduct was comparable to Nixon's, while Democrats contended that Nixon's actions had been far more serious than Clinton's. Another legacy for a time was a decrease in the power of the presidency as Congress passed restrictive legislation in the wake of Watergate. Olson suggests that legislation in the aftermath of the September 11th attack restored the president's power. Personality and public image Nixon's career was figured dog by his persona and the public's impression of editorial Cartoonists and comedians often exaggerate his appearance and mannerisms to the point where the line between the human and the caricature became increasingly blurred. He was often portrayed with unshaven jowls, slumped shoulders, and a furrowed, sweaty brow. Nixon had a complex personality, both very secretive and awkward, yet strictly reflected by himself. He was inclined to distance himself from people and was formal in all aspects, wearing a coat and tie even when home alone. Nixon, by her common black, described him as being driven Though although uneasy with himself in some ways, according to Black, Nixon thought that he was doomed to be to be traduced, double crossed, unjustly harassed, misunderstood, and uh, underappreciated and subjected to the trials of Job, but that by the application of his mighty will, tenacity, and diligence, he would ultimately prevail. Nixon sometimes drank to excess, especially during 1970 when things were not going well for him. He also had trouble badly insomnia, for which he was prescribed sleeping pills. According to Ray Price, he sometimes took them in all took them in together. Nixon also took Dilantin, recommended by Jack Dreyfus. That medicine is usually prescribed for anti-seizure attacks, but in Nixon's case, it was to battle depression. His period. His periodic indulgence, especially during stressful times, such as during Apollo 13, concerned Price and others, including the 
advisor Ehrlichman and longtime valet Manolo Sanchez, author and former politician <coughs> David Owen Dean Nixon, an alcoholic. Biographer Elizabeth Drew summarized Nixon as a smart, talented man, but most peculiar and haunted by president. In his account of the Nixon presidency, author Richard Reeves described Nixon as a strange man of uncomfortable shyness who functioned best alone with his thoughts. Nixon's presidency was tuned by his personality, Reeves argues. He assumed the worst in people, and he threw out the worst in them. He clung to the idea of being tough. He thought that was what brought him the to the edge of greatness, but that was what betrayed him. He could not open himself to other men, and he could not open himself to greatness. Nixon believed that putting distance between himself and other people was necessary for him as he advanced his political career and became president. Even baby Rebozo, by some accounts, his close friend did not call him by his first name. Nixon said of this, Even with close friends, I don't believe in letting your hair down, confiding this and that and the other thing, you say, gee, I couldn't sleep. I believe you should keep your troubles to yourself. That's just the way I am. Some people are different. Some people think it's good there. But just sit with a close friend and, you know, just spill your guts and reveal their inner psyche. Whether they're, whether they were breastfed or bottle fed, not me, no way. When Nixon was told that most Americans felt they did not know him, even at the end of his career, he replied, yeah, it's true, and it's not necessary for them to know. Books. Nixon, Richard Dent. M. 1966 Crisis Double Day. Nixon, Richard M. 1978 R.N. The Memoirs of Richard Nixon, Simon and Schuster. Nixon, Richard M. 1980 The Real War, Sidgwick and Jackson, Ltd. Nixon, Richard M. 1982 Leaders, Random House. Nixon, Richard M. 1984 Real Peace, Sidgwick and Jackson, Ltd. Nixon, Richard M. 1987 No More Vietnam, Arbor House Publishing. Nixon, Richard M., 1988-1999, Victory Without War, Simon & Schuster. Nixon, Richard M., 1990, In the Arena, A Memory of Victory, Defeat and Renewal, Simon & Schuster. Richard, uh, Nixon, Richard M., 1992, Seize the Moment, America's Challenge in a One Superpower World, Simon & Schuster. Nixon, Richard M., 1994, Beyond Peace, Random House. Notes, Explanatory Notes, and Nixon did more than double his percentage of the Jewish vote from 17% to 35%. Merkley, volunteer for Paul employers after a nectary materia, which a biograph displays NHLBI funding for sickle cell research from FY 1992 through FY 2001, totaling $923 million for these 30 years, starting at $10 million from 1972, then about $15 million a year through 1976, about $20 million for 1977, etc. Thank you for listening to this episode of the U.S. President number 37, Richard M. Nixon. Have a good week. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay safe out there.